0: Good morning again to everybody. Glad you're here. Glad you made it safe. It's good to see you. Appreciate Joe reading the scripture this morning. Matthew chapter 2 is our text. Joe, you read it so much prettier than I could read it. Try to think of this from Joseph's perspective. I mean, really try to come at this from Joseph's side. I don't know Joseph's family. I know he was a guy that worked with his hands. He's a carpenter or a, or a mason. Uh, he's something of that nature and trade. I imagine he led a pretty quiet life. If you've seen my, my big fat Greek wedding, I, I picture his family as the Ian Miller, the toast family, you know, the kind of the dry toast family. I just kind of expected to be just kind of quiet in Joseph's family. And then, then he marries Mary, okay? Well, he's engaged at this point. And all of a sudden, all these weird things start happening. He's from this quiet family. And, and Mary, all of a sudden, she's got this cousin, Zechariah, who sees an angel. So he says in the temple, that's what he says he saw. These kinds of things don't normally happen. They don't happen to Joseph's family, not Joseph's kinds of people. And then Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, she gets pregnant. She's never been pregnant. She's really, well, she's old, friends, She's old. There's just not another word for it. The text says she's old, and she is. So she's pregnant, and she's old, and Zechariah can't speak, and he's seen an angel, and it's just out of control, going from the quiet family. There's a lot of chaos now. This was sort of the talk of the town until, wait for it, Mary, his fiancee, gets pregnant. And then she says, oh, this is from the Holy Spirit. Uh Uh-huh. And you know, it's you can. The text says that Joseph, you know, he he's been thinking about this. It says he's decided to put her away quietly, just quietly. He's just no more drama. Doesn't want anybody to get excited. The problem for Joseph is the problem that we all have. It's that we do not have the eyes to see God at work all around us. We don't have the eyes to see God at work all around us but the truth is that god is at work all around us but but joseph couldn't see that we miss that quite a bit you know there's a word that we use for this it's it's called doubt and doubt in the greek uh, it comes from from a word to judge or to scrutinize it's related to the word today that we have uh, discern and literally in the Greek, uh, it's diakrino, which you don't really care, except that it means to divide or separate. To divide or separate. To, to put in two pieces. Uh, other ways of translating this, other languages, other sort of colloquial ways to translate this would translate it this way to have two minds. To have two minds or two thoughts on the same manner. And I think this works really well. Joseph, he had. Two thoughts about God. He, he knew God was there. You know, he knew God was there. Being a good Jewish guy from a good Jewish family, he knew God was there. But the problem for Joseph is that he thought he knew who that God was very, very specifically. And the God that Joseph knew did not get unwed teenage girls pregnant. That's not how the God Joseph knew worked. Joseph had two minds. He knew there was a God, but He didn't work the way that this God seemed to be working. You know, a lot of us today, we struggle with this. I spend a lot of time thinking about this this week. Legalists and skeptics have a lot in common. You may not see that at first blush, but they do. What does the legalist say? Something similar maybe to the lines of Joseph. I, I know who God is, and I know how God works. God works these ways. God only works like this. God only works here. I, I've heard people say, God only speaks through Scripture. He does not speak to us through the Holy Spirit in any way other than Scripture. He doesn't do any, any of these other things. He doesn't connect with us through other believers. He doesn't do anything. He God works like this, and they've got God defined very, very thoroughly. And so they know who God is, but they also think that they know, quote-unquote, who that God is in complete detail. Skeptics have a similar problem. They say, you know, I don't know that I could believe in a God who likes seeing people suffer. I don't think I could believe in a God who likes seeing people suffer. I look at the world, I see all the suffering around me, and I can only assume that it's there because God is he's okay with it. He likes it, I guess. But the thing is that both of these assume two thoughts about God. Well, maybe God's there, maybe God's not, but God is this way. When in reality, maybe that God doesn't exist at all. Maybe the reason people have a hard time believing in a God who only works in these well-defined ways is because that God doesn't exist. There isn't a God that works in well-defined ways. Maybe the reason people have a hard time believing in a God that that delights in seeing people suffer is because there is no God like that that exists. There isn't a God that delights in seeing people suffer. Having two minds. Knowing who God is and then thinking that we know exactly who He is and how He should be. You know, doubt is sometimes kind of funny. About every two or three years, I get a package in the mail from the Geocentric Bible Society. I'm not making this up. I think I've got it. I usually give it away after a while, but I, about every two, three years, I'll get a package from the Geocentric Earth Society, and they will say, hey, listen, you know, we want you to know that, that all of science, NASA, is a conspiracy. And they've got charts and a geocentric primer that shows how the earth is really the center of the whole universe. And the sun, because the Bible says the sun rises and the sun sets, that means that the sun itself has to revolve around the world. And so the whole universe is centered around the world. And that moon landing and all that stuff, that's, no, no, that didn't really happen. And and so you get, it's it's printed two books in one, and it's all for free. I mean, I can't imagine. What would people be willing to pay for something like this? You know, on one side, it's the geocentric primer. That way you can learn all that there is to learn about the earth being the center of the universe, and then on the other side is the geocentric Bible, all of the references in Scripture that, that indicate that the earth is the center of the world. And that doubt is kind of humorous. It's kind of funny. But there's other kinds of doubt that's not funny, other kinds of two-mindedness about God that's a little more tragic I think about a story I came across. family in Utah has had four children die because they don't believe that God heals through any means but prayer. These kids have died from things like pneumonia, diseases that everybody gets and you take antibiotics for. It's a tragedy. Joseph almost had one of those tragic moments of doubt because he had so defined who God was Because he knew God was there, but he also knew exactly how God liked to work. Because Joseph had doubt, he had two minds about God. He almost tragically lost his wife, and he almost tragically lost out on the ability to partner with God in bringing the Messiah of age. But thankfully for Joseph, God sent him a message. God sends us reminders that he is with us. Now, Joseph is fortunate enough to get a dream. And that's, that's great, but if you're like me, I'm still waiting on my angelic dream. Um, I'd love to have one. I would be skeptical if I had it, which is probably why God will never send me one, and that's okay. But we get reminders from God all the time. We get reminders from God's Word. God's Word says, hey, listen, pay attention to this. Look at things this way. Notice God over here. And if we're good to pay attention to Scripture, it points out God in new and different ways. We get reminders from each other. I think that's why God put us here, to to sort of encourage each other towards righteousness uh, and and good deeds. And so we get reminders from each other. The Holy Spirit nudges us ever closer to God through promptings in our hearts. You you, want to go through Scripture and see all of the ways that people get reminders? It's a fascinating study. Balaam gets a talking donkey. Wow, that's great. Saul goes to a witch at Endor. It's amazing. God can use anything, anybody, to give us reminder about what God is doing and where He is at work. I'll tell you, I think the best scriptural reminder points out where we can look for and see these things comes in James chapter 1, verse 17. James 1:17 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. The early church loved this verse. They loved it because it taught us two things about where good gifts come from. One, it taught us that God only gives good gifts. God doesn't give bad gifts. You don't open up a gift from God and go, oh, thanks. Socks. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you, God. God only gives good gifts. But then it also says that every good gift, everyone, all of the good gifts you get, they come from God. You want to see God? God. Look for Him in what are the truly good things of life. Brendan Manning wrote a book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Some of you perhaps have read that. He he talks about seeing God. Let me read this to you. It says, Grace proclaims the awesome truth that all is a gift. All that is good is ours, not by right, but by sheer bounty of a gracious God. While there is much we may have earned, our degree, our salary, our home, garden, a miller light, and a good night's sleep. All this is possible only because we've been given so much. Life itself, eyes to see, hands to touch, a mind to shape ideas, and a heart to beat with love. We have been given God in our souls and Christ in our flesh. We have the power to believe where others deny, to hope where others despair, to love where others hurt. This and so much more is a sheer gift. It is not a reward for our faithfulness, our generous disposition, or our heroic life of prayer. Even our fidelity, our faith is a gift. If we but turn to God, said St. Augustine, that itself is a gift of God. My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. You want to find God? Look in the good things around us. But we miss those things because we dismiss those things. But these gifts are found in a million small ways and a million large ways. But they reveal God to us powerfully. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, and I put this on your sheet only he who gives thanks for little things receives the big things. We prevent God from giving us the great spiritual gifts he has in store for us because we do not give thanks for daily gifts. Joseph gets his reminder has this image of God redefined. And once that happens, we see something amazing take place. We see that God is at work, and God is at work in Joseph, and Joseph has this courageous and active faith that is born or reborn here in this moment. Uh, Our response to God's presence is courageous and active faith. Joseph wakes up from this dream, the text says, takes Mary as his wife. And I'll tell you, he may have known the truth, but it didn't make it any less awkward. You know, he may have known the truth about Mary, but it didn't mean that his family did. Or if they did, it didn't mean they accepted it. It didn't mean that his friends thought it was okay. It didn't mean it was easy. It just meant that he knew. Knowing the truth didn't mean that he completely understood God's plan. Knowing the truth didn't mean he knew the future, what was going to happen or why. What did Joseph really know? The text, I think, gets at it when it gets at the name of Christ. What does the text call Jesus? It says, look, the virgin shall conceive, bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. I suspect that was the crux of the angel's message. Joseph, God is with you. Joseph, God is with Mary. Joseph, God is present in this situation Joseph didn't know what God was going to do. I suspect he thought he was going to be surprised, but he knew God was going to be with him. Joseph didn't know exactly who this God was. I mean, how can you know an all-knowing and infinite God? There was probably more Joseph did not know than Joseph knew, but what he knew was enough. And what he knew was that God was with him. I know that some of us come with doubt. We don't see God Because we defined him to be something else, a grandfather in the sky with Werther's originals in his pockets. This is what we imagine. But let me tell you this morning, whether you're a saint or a skeptic or a seeker or you have found, God is with you and he will remain with you and he will wait for you. He will wait for you to be with him. To the point where you would say, God, I know that you've been there, and I finally see it. God's waiting for you to acknowledge Him. God is with you, but are you with God? This truth of knowing that God is with us leads us to a courageous and active faith. It's faith because there is more we do not know than we will ever know. It is faith because we're going to wonder about what God is doing We're going to wonder about why God does things. We're going to wonder about why these things happen this way. But we will know that God is with us, and that will be enough for now. God is with all of us. What will you do about it? My challenge to you this morning is to simply let God be God. Saint, skeptic, follower, finder, let God be God. Don't say, I believe in a God who, or I can't believe in a God who. Why don't you just let God be who God is and see what happens? Look for God in the good around you. Look for God among your children and your wife and the blessing of a good day's work. Look for God in the midst of table fellowship, in the midst of being here at church, in the midst of coming to the Lord's table. Scripture says this, and this is what the whole hinge of this morning is really based on. Scripture says this, it says that everybody who seeks, finds. It tells me that God is not playing a hide-and-seek game with you. It tells me that if you really look for God, for who God really is, you will find Him. That's what Christmas is about. God with us everyone who seeks finds. God is with us. The question is, do we have the eyes to see Him? Let me pray. Gracious Lord, we come to You this morning, and we're humbled by Your presence, by the gift of of Your own revelation, showing us Yourself through Jesus Christ. God, this morning we admit that we have defined you and overly defined you and told you who you could be and who you could not be, who you were and who you weren't. Perhaps, God, we've spent more time talking about you than listening to you or learning about you. And so, Lord, this morning we just put all that aside and we pray, Lord, that you would show yourself to us. And Lord, for those that are here this morning that are skeptical and wondering perhaps if you are even there, I pray that they would see you somehow this week. I don't know how that would be, but I know that Scripture says there is nothing you're going you're gonna to withhold in trying to get to people. You'll use anything to be your messenger. Lord, would you please give us eyes to see and ears to hear. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. This morning we come to our time of decision. We do this every week because we believe that the Spirit is active and at work and the Father is always calling people to Himself. And this morning, if you need to receive Christ, perhaps if you've seen Him for the first time or discovered Him, you need to receive Him and be baptized into Him. We'll invite you to come forward. Others you perhaps need to make another decision, a commitment to Christ as church. I don't know. The Spirit's leading you to make a decision and share that with the church. We'll invite you to come forward as we sing this song. Please be standing.